We are live. We invite people of all backgrounds to share their stories, their nuanced conversations, and forward thinking, and not taking ourselves too seriously. Everyone's story matters. Every voice is important. Life is polarizing, but not everything is black and white. Come join us as we fade to gray. Take her away, sir. Hello, Fade Gray listeners. <laughs> we have another episode. <laughs> another episode for you all, and I am stoked. Today, Stoned? Uh, we are going Stoked. to interview Derek Day, um, who is an author, a leadership consultant, oh. and a professional speaker. All right. This guy has been preaching and teaching about the impact of unconditional love for nearly 15 years. And he is the author of Deconstructing Religion and the co-author of Satan, Let Me Refresh Your Memory. And I am very excited for this. So how are you doing today, Derek? I'm doing fantastic, Seth. It's good to be here. Great intro, Seth. We're happy to have you. You're welcome. Glad so, glad you're here, Derek. I'm and super- Omar and Elizabeth, is good to meet Elizabeth for the first time. Yeah. And Omar, is good to be with you again, man. Dude, it's going to be a blast, man. Looking forward to hearing your yeah. story and getting into it. This is going to be fun. All right. So to kick this off, tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, I mean, I know you've been teaching on unconditional love for nearly 15 years, uh, but I'm all about hearing people's stories. So tell us a little bit about how you got to where you are. You know, it's, it's a very interesting journey. Um, I um, grew up in Detroit. My mom was a single parent. Um, and we, me and my brother, we were rambunctious. <laughs> we, were, uh, we, were, we were hood, you know, <laughs> so street. And um, it just got in, I got into a little bit of trouble. And my mom reached out to my dad and said, listen, you need to get these guys and do something with them. And so we went to spend the summer with my dad <clears throat> in Burnsville, Minnesota. Okay. And um, while we were there, my dad gave us the option if we wanted to go back to Detroit or stay there with him. And so out of my um, my mother's three children, I was the only one that decided to stay. So I stayed there in Burnsville, Minnesota, and I was one of five black kids. That's a culture shock in and of itself coming from yeah. Detroit. So, so that, it was, and um, so I, I learned a lot. I mean, I learned how a, old were you, you at know, that point? 15, 15. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's a, and that's already a hard year for transitioning from, yep. you know, trying to become a man and all that stuff. And then coming, well, I guess, Oh man, and the stereotypes and the racism going oh, yeah. going man. into Minnesota. So you had to play every sport. You had to be yep. like a, the funny black guy. Yeah, man, it, it, uh, all the expectations. You know, it's like the Eagles song, "The New Kid in Town." Yeah. That, that's, that's that's basically how that was life for me. Uh, but while I was there, I met a guy who I played football with, and he asked me one day, "Say, hey, you want to learn how to ski?" <laughs> Hell yeah. So <laughs> we so, call that white peopling. You know, well, I mean, it, it actually was. And, and so went to this thing and it was in the basement of a Presbyterian church in Edina, Minnesota. You, and, you, so you're doing 
lines of coke than it sounds like if you're in a basement of a church. Like that's that's a different type of skiing. <laughs> no, no, it was it was actually legitimate skiing. So like we, you know, we would meet on Wednesdays, but on the weekends we'd go skiing. And so these guys they taught me how to ski. And this thing was called Sun Summit. And I promise you that for the first couple of months that I went there, I thought it was S U N Summit. I really didn't get it. But then it 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 all started coming together when I realized it was S-O-N Summit, right? And these guys shared with me this unconditional love, this, this accepting God, this accepting Jesus. And, and I wanted to be a part of that. Okay. So I got quote unquote born again. There you go. In uh-huh. Edina, Minnesota. And this was November, November of 78. Thing it was yeah something like that anyway Derek, so I, I you're gonna have to explain this more to me because i'm still lost on skiing in a basement so like <laughs> no, 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 no 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 what i'm saying that was the, where the group met oh. but we actually went to different skiing areas in minnesota okay to, you know i was in, thinking in like cross-country skiing or something i'm sorry i didn't i didn't explain okay. it completely yeah yeah no that that was the the gathering point the meeting point like we'd meet there and then we'd go skiing and then we'd have fellowship on wednesday nights and we look at the slideshow you're and being listen, evangelized you know. is what was happening yeah yeah people <laughs> would play music and all of that yeah i mean it, it was it, they sucked me in free pizza but, man but it, that too <laughs> that too the ways of ministry and evangelicalism you know but, it's all about but, it's all about bringing in uh, you just provide kids with food <laughs> and fun events and well, don't forget the hot girls. Yeah, and yeah. the hot girls. Were there hot girls well, at the ski it's camp? It's all about the girls. And then telling yes. us what heaven's like. You know, and that's yeah, uh, yeah. There were there were there were hot girls, and there was skiing, and there was music. It, it was you know free pizza, soda. You know, it was it was the bomb. And um, and so I I got quote unquote born again, and then shortly Praise after the that, uh, me and my dad we fell out, and and I decided I wanted to go back to Detroit. So I went back to Detroit, and this was the funny part. Because when I got back, everybody found out, hey, Derek's a Jesus freak. <laughs> and right. and that was that was really amazing because you know, everybody who knew me, they they knew me by the three W's. Um, weed, whiskey, and women. Mm. You know, I like those so that W's. was that was yeah, so that was how I rolled. And um and so the first thing they said is, you know, hey, um, you know, and you're into this Jesus thing now, so you're gonna stop smoking weed. I'm like, Yeah, no more weed. I said, so you're going to stop drinking too. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, no more drinking. That's cool. And I said, so what about these women? What about these girls, man? What are you going to do? And, and, and that was when it just kind of went off the rails for me because I'm like, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, that was my weakness. That was my kryptonite. And, and so um, it, it wasn't long afterward that I got into a quote unquote backslidden position and uh, and I went on through life, just living life. I joined the Navy. I was in the Navy for seven years and had a, had a good run at the Navy. And then um, I got out of the Navy and I got married. And um, and then uh, a, a funny thing happened. Well, well first of all, my well, thank wife you for time, your service, right? That's what, uh, that's what you're supposed to say. You're, no, you're welcome. Yeah. Um, but my wife at the time, she got cancer. And... and um, hmm. And it was like during that time, I was also um, dabbling in, in politics. I was, uh, I was a radio talk show host. I had a regular show on uh, WNIS in Norfolk, Virginia. And um, um, 
and I was doing a lot of stuff for Repu Republican politics in Virginia. But still backslidden? And, Would you have still consider yourself yep. a Christian, though, but just not doing well, any at of the that, at, at that time, I, you know, I considered myself a Christian, but I wasn't perfect. You know, I'm, I'm born again, but I'm not perfect. That was the that was my my out. Huh. Kind of so, like Trump. Well, yeah, uh, uh, <laughs> Republican, you know, saved, but not perfect. Right. So, yeah. yeah so, uh, Sorry for that comparison. Yeah, I, was, I brought you on the show just to compare you to Trump. That, that's nice. Yeah, I, was, I was the I was the black Donald Trump. <laughs> and uh, so. So anyway, I, I hear this voice one day um, say to me um, to um, share my gospel. Hmm. Audible. And, audible voice like i hear you guys interesting and and i still hold true to this to this day you know that uh because because i think that you know in some cases when people quote unquote hear from god it's like the the mayonnaise went bad right there was something else you know it's not it's or you had some bad booze or some bad weed you know something something or went sideways or a mental illness or some good yeah, weed that, that, yeah so it, but it was none of those if things. you have some was, weed was, that was, can was, make me hear god i'll buy an ounce right now <laughs> Moving on. Uh, you know, I almost said something, but I'm um, no. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, so anyway, um, I, no, I, I I heard this, and 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 I went through these gyrations with God. I'm like, okay, God, I'm you know, I, I'm not, I'm not really cut out for preaching. I'm not cut out for this. And then um, two years after that, my wife died, mm. and that was that was a, a, a big turning point in my life because that was the the point where I realized that, you know, that God was something more than this abstract concept that I've been taught. And, um, and so it took a while after that, she, she died in 1994. And, um, and it was like right around, I want to say 2000 when I, when I decided to answer the call and go into ministry. And so I went down that path and um, went apostolic, went word of faith and, you know, went hardcore legalist and flirted with Calvinism and all of these you know, different religious gyrations. But the, the, the point is, is that I, I, um, hmm. I, I've reached a point where I said, okay, am I really doing these things because I believe them or am I doing them because somebody told me this was the right thing to do? And so I, I went out, I, basically it was all being spoon fed. I, I wasn't thinking for myself. And then I began to think for myself. And, and that was my, when my deconstruction process began, which that's the, the deconstruction process began about 10 years ago. And, um, and so that's, that's kind of the lead up to where I am now. That's the thumbnail sketch. There's a ton of detail. So Derek, after 2000, after you're kind of like diving into your whole faith and Christianity and, that whole path into Calvinism um, so strongly. Were you taking on like leadership roles and stuff in the church as well? I mean, were you like doing like biblical extra biblical studies no, um, or was it just kind of no. just uh, through relationships with people and then and just like the path of just happened to be that way as far as you were seeking God? No, pretty much everywhere I went, um, I was recognized as someone who needed to be groomed for leadership. So, uh, you know, everybody wanted to be a spiritual father and 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 be the one that birthed this thing into the world and blah blah blah. Why do you think that was? Because that's that you're speaking, you're pulling at some heartstrings here. Because that's my We've story. Heard that. Yeah, that's my whole thing. It's like always like, oh, you're so anointed. Oh, and I always thought it was yep. because 
they it was the color of my skin like i mean like I, okay so like let's be honest like i mean like what is what is this anointing that they it's like i'm cool so i speak a different language and so people were, i'm more accepting so then i get i get more people through the doors is that really what it's all about or is it something you know, more is it actually something spiritual is there something about us that is anointed that other people don't have or whatever let me say this. I believe that all of humanity is anointed. I don't believe that there's a single human being that does not have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside. Okay. Okay. So what what what's different are giftings. You know, the, the spirit, the anointing, all of that stuff is universal. That's ubiquitous, right? But everybody has different giftings. Like, for example, I am not a singer. The, the ministry of music is not my gift. So I'm not going to be the one to lead lead us in song or anything like that. That's not that's not my gift. Um, but there there are a couple of things that I, I've always been regarded by my peers, by my family, uh, by friends as a leader. So I think that there, I have a gifting in leadership. And then the other thing is is that I went through. Um, could that Something be like a, a just a strong personality? Like, is that just maybe just another way of saying that? I don't that think too? that it's. I, I I have a strong personality, but I think that was cultivated. I don't think that was inherent. What's your Enneagram right? score? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> it sounds like you're right. seven to me. That's what yeah, I. That's what I'm, I am. You know, I don't know what. Well, what are you? A seven. So, a seven. Yeah. Okay. Is this the out? Yeah, is that so, outgoing? A lot. A lot of people who. Are, are that type of personality i think following you like seven or eight category a lot of times so. yeah anyways yeah, I'm, I'm pretty i'm pretty outgoing pretty gregarious and all of that but the, the 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 thing is is that um i think that people latch on to that they they see you know that this guy's like a leader and at the at and at that time you know career-wise i was in leadership positions so it just kind of like seemed to be a natural flow and then the other thing is that as a child I was a stutterer. I had a, mm -hmm. I had a very, you know, uh, difficult, um, and it wasn't really a speech impediment. I think it was more like, um, a, a product of shyness, a product of not really feeling valued. And so I was unsure of myself, hmm. but I practiced, I made a conscientious effort to become an effective speaker. Mm -hmm. And, and so when people see that you have the gift of speaking and you have the gift of leadership, therefore you must have the gift of ministry, a pastoral uh, leadership ministry. And so I was, I was groomed in that pretty much from the onset of my advent in a ministry. Okay. Okay. That makes sense then. But like it never actually led into like any sort of like actual like schooling or you weren't in any part of a like a ministry organization that required anything like that in order to actually be a minister. So it sounds like you probably did a lot more actual like preaching than I ever yeah. did in my 10 years of ministry. I did a lot more of stacking of chairs and like uh, did I did that, too, did you? because you had to, you had to do that to earn your way into the pulpit, right. you know, because God, God wants to to test you. <laughs> yeah, but once you got to the preaching part, right, you didn't have to pick up the chairs anymore, right? No, I still did. You still did. Because that was, that was like the, the cost of, you know, being a part of leadership. You know, I was I was the pastor's armor bearer. I, I worked okay. in picking up chairs, cleaning the church, all, all of it. I did because that was the cost. That was, you know, basically that was essentially 
if you use like mob speak, mm -hmm. it was how you made your bones. <laughs> okay. So it sounds like your involvement in the church has very much impacted you on this on this journey. Ah, absolutely. Absolutely. And you know, one of the things that I learned when I became a pastor, I didn't make people uh do things in order to earn something. Mm -hmm. Because if if what if what Jesus gives us is indeed free, then that means that whatever Jesus has given me, I must give free. So you know, there were no requirements or anything like that. Now, we, I, I, I have had some situations like once I had a guy who was in the church and he wanted to preach and, and he had been groomed to be a pastor in another, in another church, another life. And the, the problem that I had is that this guy's sermons were very legalistic. And, and, you know, normally I don't, I, I don't tell up and coming preachers, Hey, listen, let me read your sermon before you preach it. I'm not that guy, but I had to be that guy with him because we were a very grace oriented church. And, and this guy was very legalistic. And, and there were a couple of times where I had to go back and spend a couple of weeks undoing what he had done uh, after, after he had preached. So, um, but that, you know, again, all of that is shaped by, you know, past experiences. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, you talked about ecumenical organizations and, and, and I served in, in two, um, ecu well, three ecumenical, ecumenical organizations. One is uh, Kingdom Covenant International, which I co-founded. And, uh, and now that's led by Bishop Anthony Calloway, a good friend of mine. I passed the reins on to him. And then um, I was also uh, the general secretary of an organization called Kingdom Builders of America, and I served with them for two years. And then I was also the um, uh, presiding bishop of the International Circle of Faith, which is a huge ecumenical organization. I think that they have like 4,500 churches worldwide. Um, and, and so I was the, the titular head of that organization. Um, and, and the funny thing is, is that I've never had any uh, quote-unquote theological education. Hmm. Uh, everything that I've learned it came from my own study and by the download of the Holy Spirit, if you will. And you were part of those, say that I get that word again, ec ecumenical. 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 Yeah. I knew I was going to butcher, butcher that, um, <laughs> which is interesting. But I was wondering, were you part of the same like church the whole time that you were doing these other ministries? And it, it sounded like... Were you ever a senior pastor of any of, of that? Yeah. Okay, okay, so is it? Yeah, we, we, we folded our church in August of last year um, after, after eight years. Um, it was eight years in, in, in Arizona and, and another two years in Texas. So I was a senior pastor uh, for 10 years. Okay, and, and that was all kind of through this, but it all was through the same denomination that you're introduced to in 2000? No, actually— no, actually, uh, I went through some uh, several gyrations. Uh, the the first uh, church that I served in, my brother-in-law was the pastor, and uh, and that turned out to be well, uh, that turned out to be a clusterfuck of epic epic proportions. Um, then um, we left Detroit. We went to uh, to Arkansas, and and there I was with a, a Word of Faith church Damn. Mm -hmm. and Word of Faith. Yeah. Oh, damn. 
you just yeah, you, did, was, um, you didn't get enough racism in Minnesota. Apparently, you're just like, give me more. Well, you, know, <laughs> you know, it's it, it was interesting. Did you have because, the snakes um, in the basement? You know, <laughs> the snake movement thing. <laughs> no, 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 no. no uh, I, I don't. I don't mess around with snakes. Um, <laughs> uh, no, uh, we we went to Arizona. I basically I, I I took a position as a, I was I was a director of change management for a Fortune 100 company. Oh wow! And, okay. and so that was that was what took us to um, to Arkansas. Um, and so did you? But during did the, you stay in the same vein of ministry then? Like because you? No, no, it, it changed gears because I was I was very I was in a very legalistic uh, Pentecostal um, word of faith. Under my yeah. No, oh. this was Pentecostal. Then then it was word of faith in Arkansas. Okay, and it was uh, word of faith slash apostolic. Yeah, and then. Um, I left there and, I, and, and well, I got, actually, I got the left foot of fellowship and I helped, um, I helped a brother um, plant a church there, um, which was more um, in the vein of like, say, Miles Monroe, that kingdom first yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, school of thought. Um, and then we left there, we went to Texas. And um, while, while I was in Texas, we basically started a small church that um, didn't really, it, it didn't really gain traction. It was like uh, Texas was sort of a waypoint. It wasn't like someplace where we really should have been. It just kind of worked out you know, because I, I had got another position down there. So you kept starting churches. Was that just because people were telling you that that's what you were supposed to do? I mean, because yeah, you, you I, were that's, that's what I that's what I felt I was supposed to do. You know that I was a church planner, and and you know I I've, I've actually pastored two churches and I've served in several churches, but, um, I've actually helped plan. I don't know. I think like eight churches. You will have a massive crown in heaven. Yeah. I mean, you'll, dude, <laughs> yeah. you're going to get a mansion like it's, yeah. you know, I always thought the second chairs is what really did it. It's, it's, it's the widow's <laughs> might, man. Yeah. It, you know, stacking chairs and cleaning toilets. You know, I, I secured my place in heaven through all of that. Absolutely. Man. So, so from Texas is, and so was the next stop then Arizona after that? It was Arizona. And, yep. and that's where you are currently. Yep. And you just, and so once you made it to Arizona, so the, you were talking to us about the church plant in Texas and being kind of not really affiliated with any of the other denominations no. you had been affiliated with up until that point. So that was kind of no. when you were kind of maybe breaking off into like, so when you got to Arizona, did you, whatever church you planted there, is that the same one that you just released a couple of years ago or was it? It was, it was basically the same church that we were doing in Texas, just in Arizona. Okay. Same name, same, you know, incorporation and all of that. Um, but this one, this one was actually, I think, pretty successful in terms of its impact to the community and, and to um, the lives that were changed by people who came through our doors. I think that, that we were, we were effective. Um, one of the big problems that I faced, though, was um, the advent of Donald Trump, <laughs> um, because I was I was a unique uh, pastor in that I was a black pastor with a predominantly white congregation. Mm -hmm. Doesn't happen much. No. Um, but, you know, wonderful people. But, um, you know, Trumpism is I don't know, man, it, it's like the its effect on the Christian mind. Is, is something really to, to behold. And, you know, when we, when we would deal with things like, um, you know, a, a, a black person being killed, police brutality, and, you know, we want the entire congregation to kind of 
get on board with this and, you know, help us to, you know, shout this thing down and, and it just didn't happen. And, and so I, I, I just kind of reached a point where I kind of got fed up and, um, and, and I said, if, if, if I continue to do this, knowing that when these situations do come up, that they won't be addressed in our congregation, then I'm a hypocrite. And that, that really, that, that's something that really, you know, it really dug at me. And so I, I had to do a lot of thinking and me and my wife, we did, you know, we talked and, and, and just, you know, did a lot of crying. Um, and then I just made the decision, um, you know, we're not going to do this anymore. Mm, that had to be a hard decision. It was because I, I, I actually, I love preaching. Uh, I love to, and I'm not really like a preacher. It's like, I'm not a, well, and God said, I've seen you get excited before. Like, you know, I, I've seen the preacher come out in you a couple of times. Yeah, it's 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 there. I try to I try to subdue it. Where I'm, I'm I try to stick to teaching. You've done pretty good on the and making make it more this episode. <laughs> <laughs> so um, you know, I try to try to keep it simple. Um, but it it was just um, I, I miss doing that. I miss the the fellowship. I, I miss all of that. But at the same time at the end of the day, you have to be true to yourself and you have to be yeah. able to look at yourself in the mirror and, and be happy yeah. with who you see. You have to be true to your own identity. That's good. And, um, yeah. And then, then the, the other thing after, after I left church, I, I went through this thing. I got to tell you this story because this is a really good story. And this kind of leads into how I met you guys. Uh, <laughs> because, um, there was there was an incident, and I don't remember what the, it may it might have been um, after it wasn't after Philando Castillo. I don't remember who it was, but anyway, there was another uh, police brutality incident. Someone died, and um, and so fake news. I, 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 well, I've been I've been you know a pro lifer all my life, yeah. uh, all of my adult life, and I've and I've given myself generously to pro life causes, and so I. When this happened, I, I went to all of my pro-life friends and I said, hey, if you guys are pro-life, you know, can you support me in this? And they're like, oh, Derek, you know, it, it'll go away. All of this racism stuff, just stop talking about the racism, you know, just focus on Jesus. Don't, you know, and, and, and so basically when I, when I look back on that now, that what they were really saying is, you know, stop rocking the boat, be a good little Negro and don't talk about these things. And that was, that was really what it came down to. And, and, um, and so I, I had said something about the word fuck. And, and a bunch of the grace community really got their draws in a bunch over this. Um, how dare you say that? How dare you say that? And I'm, I'm like, okay, wait a second. You guys are more messed up over the word fuck than you are about black people being killed by police. That's a problem. I, and I said, can you see the hypocrisy in that? Can, can you see the absence of Christ in that? And, and so at that point, you know, and, you know, at that leading up to that point, man, I'd hardly cussed in 
you know, almost 20 years. I mean, it was, it was rare, but now I don't give a fuck. I'll cuss, I'll cuss up a storm because listen, if, if that is the thing that's going to turn your crank, but the, the greater things that people go through, you know, like that, that when, you know, my LGBTQ uh, friends are, are um, being mistreated, being discriminated against, being oppressed, being disenfranchised. And then when you, when you see, you know, young black men and women that are just being executed by police. And I'm like, and you don't want to say anything. Oh, okay. Well, I'll tell you <laughs> what, I'm, I'm going to give you something to really sink your teeth into. I'm going to cuss up a fucking storm. And now, and, and so ever since then I've been like, uh, and, and then I did a, I did a podcast with, um, with Aaron Abke and Kyle Butler. And this was, this is the best, the, the most downloaded episode of my podcast ever. And that is the cussing, cursing, and swearing episode hmm. because cussing, cursing, and swearing are, are two different. Are, they're all three different yeah, things. I agree. And, and there, there is a, there are biblical prohibitions against cursing and swearing, but there's nothing against cussing, <laughs> not a thing. So, so when yeah. I pointed that out, it's like, you know, the, the, the religious wing nuts went overboard. They lost their mind, lost their shit and came at me with, with barrels blazing. But, you know, I say, Hey, and this is your Bible. This is what your Bible says. And then I began to, I began to go back and really reverse engineer things. <laughs> and that was when I got to the point where I said, wait a second, I was under the belief that this Bible was inerrant and infallible. Uh Oh, and now uh -oh. I'm seeing that it isn't heretic and, and that, that really, you know, pushed people over the edge. Yeah. So, so now I'm like, I'm, I, I won't say that I'm, I'm fully deconstructed. I won't say that I'm, uh, that I'm totally free because I believe that, um, that the law of attraction, um, I haven't mastered that yet because I'm not financially independent, but that's the final frontier. Literally. It's like everything else. Um, you know, we talked this morning when, um, Seth and PK Langley were on and, and, and PK really helped me to overcome all of my hangups about, you know, about, uh, LGBTQ, right? Because I was, you know, God made Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. And, you know, homosexuality is an, is, is an aberration and, you know, all of that, right? And, and, and PK, someone who I loved, respected, and admired, when she came out, I had to process that. I had to really, you know, okay, where, where am I? Who am I regarding this? And, um, and, and so at that point, I, I'm like, no, I'm, I'm not going to be against that. How, how dare me be against that? You know, someone that, that um, and, and I don't care whether you're born that way or whether you choose it. That's not my business. My business is to love you and accept you right where you are. It's not up to me to change you or to preach to you or, you know, pray that you, that you come out of it. That's all bullshit. I'm, I'm just like, no. So, you know, I, I went through, I went through some things where um, that was, that was a deconstruction. The Bible was a deconstruction. And then all of these things about uh, social mores and all of that, that was another deconstruction. So, so anyway, pretty much I'm free. I'm literally free. 
I don't have any hangups. It's like, you know, people say, well, what about people that do this, this, and this? And I say, well, you know, it, here's the thing. If you do something, it, for example, and, and people have different takes on porn, on pornography. I'm like this. If you're not hurting anyone by doing this, then who am I to judge? You know, it, it's like there are certain universal constants like, don't steal, don't kill. Those are kind of universal constants, right? So because by nature, each one of those things that you do, when you do them, you're offending the rights of someone else. You, you are um, breaching that threshold. So my rights end where yours begin. Your rights end where mine begin. So as long as you're not, as long as what you do doesn't offend me, I, I say this all the time. If somebody is doing something, that you don't do, but it offends you that they do it, they're not the ones that have, that have a problem. You have the problem. Mm-hmm. You're the one because mm-hmm. you're the one that's in bondage, right? And, and, right. That's, and so that's, that's my whole, if I could say who I am, what I am in a nutshell, why I do what I do, it, it's to help people be free in love. That's it. To move forward in love. It's good stuff, man. We need it. We need it really bad right now in this country. <laughs> and, and you know, like there, there are some people like I, I, I'm going to pick on my buddy Kyle Butler here, and and you know because it's it, interesting because that's, that's where my brain went when you're talking about because his whole message is love too. So I was going to have some questions yeah. regarding that, but yeah, let's well, talk Kyle. Kyle and I are very, Kyle and I are very good friends. We're very good friends. He, a matter of fact, I'll, I'll say even deeper. He's more like he's more like a sibling to me. I mean, it's it's that that close. Um, but but here's the thing, Kyle. Kyle is is very he is very measured. And, and, um, and, and the thing is that, um, you know, Kyle is not going to, uh, to, he, he will never be confrontational, but that ain't my testimony. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to say some things and do some things that are, that are, that are kind of in the face of, um, and, and what I, what I try not to do is be in the face of individuals because my, my battle is not with you individually, whoever you are. My battle is what you're yoked to spiritually, emotionally, ideo- ideologically. Those are the things that I'm against. So if, you, if, if you're tied to something that, that's uh, politically reprehensible, I'm going to speak on that. If you're tied to something that is, uh, that is offensive or hurtful to groups of people, whether it be racist, whether it be sexist, or you know, whether it be um, uh, gender prosecutional, um, I'm going to say something. I'm, you, you're not going to get a hall pass for me. I'm not that guy. And, and the other thing too, is that I remember when, uh, you know, when I was a preacher or when I was a pastor, I was like, okay. But you if know, love I, does I no harm this. though. Yeah. Well, the, the thing is that I'm not trying to harm any person, but I am, I'm, I'm, I'm out to, to fucking destroy systems. I'll, I'll be perfectly candid. How do you how do you do no that order. without it becoming a shit show? Especially like on the on a platform like Facebook or something like that. How how do you? Because that so this ties into my question then that I was going to go anyway. Um, as far as you know, love forward, love being the message, love 
passionately, mm-hmm. you know, and I said, asked the same thing to, to Kyle, you know, we had him on a while back where he just released the episode yep. recently. Um, like great show by the way what if what does what love even look like i mean i mean that can easily be such a cop-out when i was raised with like tough love situation where Mm. it's like i'm gonna discipline you because i love you (laughs) and then and then you have then you have kyle on the other hand you know who's like my interpretation of love is love does no harm so if something looks like it's harming somebody else i'm not gonna do that Mm -hmm. and so with what you're talking about you know, and that's that's why I think everybody's version and brand of love is different, and and then it goes well. How if you are responding to some sort of hurt or trauma in your life, mm-hmm. then you're not responding out of love, even if we think that yeah. we are. So how, how how does all that work, especially on the platform of like a Facebook or something like that, where that's we're all trapped in our homes and you know, being keyboard warriors, you know, like, and it's, so how does that work with love? How does, how does that reconcile Uh, and everything? That's, that's an amazing question, Omar. And, and, And this is what my response is that love, when you look at it in a, uh, in a quantum sense, in other words, you're looking for the most elemental parts of a thing. You see empathy and compassion. So Empathy simply says, I want to walk a mile in your footsteps. I want to see it through your eyes. You know, it, it, I remember when the, uh, the Charlottesville incident went down, you know, there were a lot of people that were just, hey, you know, take all of these racists and string them up by the balls kind of thing. And I'm like, uh, you know, that's not really the answer. You know, I don't like racism. I, I, I don't like um, racist behavior. I don't. But I also understand that people don't become racist in a vacuum. You know, it isn't just something that one day they wake up and they say, well, you know, that dude's a nigger. <laughs> and it doesn't happen that way. You know, there are some but, things, there's a process. Racist come so, to come of age. It happens just like a bar mitzvah. It just, it just well, happens. Well, <laughs> it, it, isn't even, it isn't even that. It's like somebody goes, people go through things. And so I try to understand. I really want to understand where people are. And, and how they get to different positions. Mm-hmm. The, but, the, but the thing is, is that I want to see the system dismantle. Because if, if I can dismantle the system or, 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 or be disparaging enough toward it to cause it to be doubted, to cause it to be flawed, to cause it to be something that is not sticky, then I can, I can, I can be loving and give the, give the person who's trapped in that system a soft landing place. Okay. And that, that's really important because at, at the end of the day, when, if you snatch the rug out from, a, from someone, man, you better have an air mattress under yeah. it because otherwise you're, you're going to hurt them. So I'm, I'm very conscious about that. But the second part of this love equation is compassion. Do I actually give a fuck? Do I really care? And, and I, let me get, I'll give you guys a thought experiment that you can try. And you and, and this will be fun. This will be fun. If if someone asks you, they say, "Hey, Elizabeth, how are you?" You can respond by saying, "Do you care?" Or do you have time? Yeah. And, and what will happen is, is that when you do that, you're going to raise either the righteous indignation of the person, or you're going to raise their level of consciousness. Because now they're going to really think about 
what 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 happens or what is what is part of this exchange when they exchange a pleasantry right you know people say how are you doing they really don't care they don't they honestly don't but but what what by by this little thought experiment you raise the consciousness of people and you make them think about you know the next time they go to ask someone hey how are you because you never know what you're going to get and so the 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 point of all of this is is that in in railing against systems and railing against ideologies and railing against uh, uh, principles and all of this you know systems, um, what happens is you're you're causing people to think about what it is they actually believe, and 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 the reality is is that most people are autonomous. They 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 really don't think about what it is that they believe or why they believe it. They just, it's been spoon fed to them and it sounded good at the moment or it tasted good at the moment and, and they decide to run with it. But if you, if you back up and reverse engineer, I mean, I, I'll be honest that the average person, if they were to actually consider what it is that they actually believe and, and begin to reverse engineer that, you know, to disassemble it, look at its parts they'll find that in reality, man, I don't believe that shit. That, that's, yeah, that's true. Man, that's crazy. But, but, the, but the thing is that um, by and large, and, and, and this or is they not doubled, just an American Or they double down, you know, and well, though, convince, they, themselves they hard, double down. convince themselves harder that yeah. that's what they believe. And, you know. Yeah, and, and you see a lot of that. That's, that's part of the Trump phenomenon. You know, it, it's like it, it, they can't admit that something is not right, so they have to double down on it. And uh, sometimes that happens, but you know, the, the, here's the other thing too. Let me say this. The people that double down are not the people that do any serious uh, intellectual rationing uh, or, or the, the, basically the people that double down suffer from intellectual laziness. And I know that's a harsh thing to say, but that's, that's the truth. But statistics and, though, and statistics. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's a lot of times that's what actual the, numbers. Yeah, that's where the double down comes down from. Like a lot of times, it like yeah. people dig into like you know, finding you know more support. You know, it's, it's the funny thing about statistics. That's what I want to say because that's what it seems like it happens a lot in these type of conversations. People will come back to you. Mm -hmm. well, well, like it's not really like your your points invalid because basically statistics say this. Well, I've actually know people who work in statistics and it's like, they can, they basically say, it's like, you tell me what you want to know and I'll give you the number to support it. You know? And so it's, yep. it, that's where it's, it's a, statistics are bullshit. I just said it. So, oh, you know, Harry Truman said, um, there are lies, damn lies and statistics. <laughs> that's what Harry Truman said. Um, and, and yeah, you, you know, with statistics, you can make it say whatever you want. And then the other thing too, is, is that, um, when you don't have the numbers on your side, that's when you get into something that uh, you find in, for, in forensic debate that's called a logical fallacy. And, and, and people, uh, you know, cognitive dissonance. The what about? Uh, force, the what that? about maybe. What about ism, yep. right? That, that forces people to retreat into, into logical fallacies to try to deflect or rearrange or reframe the discussion. And, and you see a lot of that too. And here's the other thing. This, this is the funny, the interesting phenomenon of this is that I really believe that the logical fallacy has its roots in religion. 
it has to because if you think about it when you when you look at everything that you're taught biblically <laughs> and and you and you begin to look at this rationally you'll find that a lot of the pieces just don't add up so now you're forced to either uh come to grips with what you believe to stare it down stare down that barrel or you you have to um uh, come up with something to justify why it is that you believe that why why it is that you insist on remaining in that camp even though it's been proven that the camp is you know not valid hmm. and and that's that's part of the whole uh concept behind biblical literalism is that it's easy to prove that the Bible is not inerrant, that it is not infallible, that it's full of biases, that it's full of contradictions. It's, it's easy to prove these things. A, a cursory Google search will help you do that. But <laughs> if you, if you um, are, are really convinced that you have to believe this and that if questioning it will cause you some harm down the road, then you know then you, you've got to come up with some things you got you have to you have to do a little bit of um uh what do you call it uh theological gymnastics in in order to um in order to make it work and so people are going to do that. that that's that's when the double down comes that's when cognitive dissonance kicks in that's where where red herrings and straw man you know and, and appeal to authority and all these things kick in because i gotta do something to justify this. And that's why I, I said this uh, last week on Facebook and it really pissed some people off. I said, you know, that uh, the Christian apologetics is, is essentially spiritual masturbation. Yeah. That, I think that did get a lot of, a lot of comments if I remember on Facebook. Yeah. And it, it pissed some people off because the thing is, if, if you're trying to defend, like, let me give you an example. Um, Mike Tyson. Hmm. Mike Tyson doesn't need anyone to defend him, you know, because number one, number one, Mike Tyson can kick your ass. Bite your ear off. I mean, just, I mean, he's a badass dude. Number one, number two, he has the kind of money that kind of insulates him from a lot of bullshit, you know, because there's, a, there's an old saying that life is like a shit sandwich. The more bread you get, the less shit you have to eat. Hmm. Right. And, and then, the, and then the third thing is that Mike is no mental midget. I don't know if you guys ever watched the Hot Boxing po podcast, but it's phenomenal. And and Mike Tyson is brilliant. So it, it, it's like you can't kick his ass, you can't mess with his money, and you and you can't fuck with him intellectually. So the the when when you when you get like that, you, uh, there's <laughs> there there's a there's a word. It's uh, unfuckwithable. <laughs> You know, you, you, you reach that point. And, and so with, with, with apologetics, apologetics assumes that you have to defend something. When apologetics or, or, or if you, whatever you believe in, whatever your faith is, it should be unfuckwithable. That it, I believe it and that's it. And, and you know, but when you, when you have to come up with a system of, uh, you know, call and response, you know, attack and defend, now what you've done is you, you you've created something you've created an apparatus to defend something that shouldn't require any defense. Yeah, makes sense. 
makes you think, you know, why, what are you getting so defensive about for sure? I mean, that yeah. Facebook is, uh, I love and hate it. Yesterday, yesterday was uh, fun for me. I posted three things back to back um, and I only ended up uh, unfriending and deleting one person, um, which, yeah, which was unfortunate because to go back and the whole conversation ends up getting deleted. So it's just kind of like, what's the point? It's wasting my, enti- wow. my entire day. But well, what was it that you posted? I'm curious because I didn't, I didn't catch so, it. So no, I had commented on somebody else's post that got deleted, but so I had uh, a couple of them were uh, political. One was, I mean, it was all satire type stuff. And so um, one was, don't forget um, it's election day. You know, if you God's Republican, but if you vote, if you don't vote democratic, then you're racist. And so that got, you know, more, <laughs> most people had a sense of humor that commented on that. Um, the one that was uh, of religious nature, I believe, was something like um, one more question. It was like the last thing that I posted, and it did get the most traction. Um, but it was just like if my if ninety percent of the people that I hang out with now uh, are you know considered going to hell, you know, and then the churches, you know, or people that say they're going to heaven are people that don't want to hang out with anyway. So what's the appeal? What's uh-huh. supposed to be the appeal to heaven? <laughs> yeah. Um, and then, then I had to edit it later and was like, you know, this is, you know, kind of more of a universalism type question where I like, I don't even know that there is a hell to go to anyway, but if, you know, like, and so it, it created some interesting, uh, conversation for sure. Well, I'm, I'm glad that you mentioned that because that's another part of the deconstruction process is the deconstruction of hell. <laughs> right. Right. Because. You know, I believe that if, if I used to believe that if there was a heaven, there had to be a hell. And and if you're going to be rewarded, there had to be some people that are rewarded and some people that are punished. And so the litmus test for this reward and punishment thing is, well, do you, how did you handle Jesus? You know, and, that, and they'll literally ask you that in a lot of churches. That at the end yeah. of the day, God's not going to ask you how well, how well you behaved or how nice you were. He's going to ask you, how did you handle Jesus? What did you Jesus? do with Jesus? And so... What did you? What did you do? What did you, what did you do with him? I don't know. I lost him. I, you know, I misplaced him. Sorry. <laughs> you know. Um, I didn't know it was my my turn to and, watch him. I'm, no one told me. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so it, it's like I'm I'm re, I'm reverse engineering things. And so one of the things that I looked at, I looked at all of the things that Jesus said about hell, and then I went back into the Old Testament. I tried to find something where hell was mentioned, and then I tried to find situations where hell would be merited. Right. Because obviously, listen, if hell is a big deal, surely when God created man and while he's in the garden, you know, he would have said, listen, don't sin because this will send you to hell. You'll surely die. He did tell you that. He's telling him die. But I mean, you know, die or, you know, go to hell. He he didn't. He said die. He didn't say eternal conscious torment. (laughs) Yeah, correct. And and then and then the first homicide, first homicide occurs, and and God doesn't say, well, I'm going to smite you down and send you to hell because you killed your brother. Your brother's blood cries out; it demands the full wrath of hell. No, it, it, there was grace. And and then you know, then you 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 go into uh, into Abraham, and uh, and and then uh, well, you go to Noah first. Noah and um, you know, getting drunk and sleeping with his daughters, kind of thing. You know, it, it's like. All of these, um, well, no, Noah wasn't. Noah wasn't the, wasn't the one that slept with his daughter. That was that was. He, Lot, he just actually. got naked and but showed anyway, his junk. Yeah, he just got naked. Yeah, showed his junk and you know cursed his sons and all of that. But anyway, um, all of these things where you know 
and and then the people that were consumed in the flood, it never says that what their eternal fate was. It doesn't say it. It's nowhere. So then I went back and I said, okay, I need to go back and look in the Greek, in the original language, or at least the, the language that the Bible was orig originally written in, the New Testament, and find out what was he saying in hell. And so there's, um, you know, Gehenna, um, yeah. Sheol, yeah. Tartaru, right? And those, those are basically the, the three words that are used for hell and none of them pertain to eternal consciousness. No, none of it was Christian. So I'm like, <laughs> no. And, 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 you know, here's the thing that 100% of all of the people that Jesus dealt with, that he blessed, that he healed, that he, none of them were quote unquote born again. None of them were, you know, they were hell bound or anything like that. I mean, it, this is, I'm like, okay, where is this coming from? And then I began to look at it in the context of the 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 uh, the early church fathers, the canonization of scripture, and all of these things, and and I began to play connect the dots with this, and eventually I came to the conclusion that there is no hell, there is no hell, it it, it can't be because if 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 the premise of First John is true that God is love, if that premise is true then there cannot be eternal conscious torment. Because think about this. How would eternal love even be able even to think something know that up? That, yeah. They, it'd be impossible for yeah, me to think that up. How, exactly. But, and and you know, when you when you go and look in Jeremiah, you know it's like God is telling Jeremiah that, hey, this never entered into my Are you mind. an annihilationist you know, like, then? Do you believe nope, that that's nope, a possibility? No, nope, nope. I'm I'm a, I'm a I'm a full reconciliationist or a universalist or whatever okay. you want to call it. It basically um, spirit is energy, and and by the laws of physics as we understand it, that all energy returns to its source. It 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 it, it does what it does and and it returns to where it came. That from. makes the most Ooh, sense that's to me. The circular nature. That, that was the most easy explanation I've ever heard of of heaven in my life. Like why would it go, why would so, why mean, would it go anywhere else? Think about why this. would it go anywhere else? Let, let me let me let me let me say this one thing before because Seth is about to chime in and I want to <laughs> I want to make sure that I, I give him a wide berth. But you 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 think about this right? When when was man created in in the Bible? It was Genesis chapter one verses twenty six through twenty eight. Let us make man in our own image after our image and likeness. Let us make them and let us give them dominion in the earth. So when is when was man with God from the beginning? And so when is the beginning? Well, who knows, right? But let's just say that, that, you know, that from time immemorial, that you were part of God, that you were, you're created by him, you're, you're part of him, right? So, so why is it then that on the grand timeline of eternity, that he would take 70 years, 80 years, 90 years, 100 years, or five years or 10 years of your life and judge your eternal destiny? Based on that, that that just completely yeah, defies it makes, logic. It makes no sense. It makes no sense, especially if you're going to exist forever. It's like, yep, the, exactly. It's like, here's here's my great love experiment. I'm going to allow you to be born into this earth where there's like, especially I'm going to want you to be born to 2020, and I want you to find me because I love you. <laughs> <laughs> I am with you forever, but find me. Not in 2020. And, don't, and, and then don't me. lose me once you find me. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. Seth. Go ahead. So, <laughs> yeah. Okay. I want to talk. <laughs> Where? At what? No, I don't even know how to ask a question. I, no, just ask have, him, man. You've, He's Omar, you've jinxed me. Oh, no. Um, but in talking about 
deconstruction? Like where, I think you even said, are you a universalist? Is that what you said? I mean, it, let me let me put it this way. I believe I believe that God is everywhere. I believe that you are God. I believe Uh-oh. that you, Seth, are God. Uh-oh. That you, Elizabeth, are God. Oh, that you, yes. Omar, are God. Just see, Omar, <laughs> you just you just said the words and oh Woo! snap! Continue. Okay, I, am I agree with you. you this you're is God. good. But Everybody this is, is going to trigger uh, Seth. Well, 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 watch this. This is this is where it oh. gets where it gets really interesting. See, you know why people treat people badly. People only treat people badly because they haven't awakened to their divinity, right? If, if you know that you're God and you know that the person sitting across from you is God, it, are you going to offend that person? Come on. That's so good. No, you're not going to offend that person. It's like God is love. It's perfect love. So if I treat you like perfect love, and see, here's the thing. And again, what you mentioned earlier, Omar, how do you deal with, the, with, with things and not make it into a shit show? Well, it, it's it's easy. I'm like I said. I'm not my. I tell people up front, you are not my enemy. I, my, my issue, my beef, is not with you. My beef is what you, with what you believe. Now, what I'm going to do is I'm going to show you how I deconstructed from this, how I walked away from this, and hopefully you'll see it. Now, if you see it, that's great. But here's the other thing. Know this: that if I show something to you that I believe is true, and you don't get it. Fine, I still love you. Now, this this is the other thing too, because I'm not, you know, I'm not like the I'm not the nice, easygoing guy. I would delete and block you with the quickness. I don't have a problem with that because it's social media, right? I don't give a fuck. But the the thing is, is that if if I know you, if I have a relationship with you, I can have disagreement with you and still be cool. But it's like if I don't know you, I, I don't know you. What, what you know? What does it mean? It, yeah, okay, delete and block. I don't need to see you anymore. Now, I still love you. But I love you like I love nuclear power from a distance. <laughs> you know, there's a nuclear reactor right down the road, right here. And I can go, you know, to the nuclear reactor. I can go outside of it and I can hang out around it or whatever. And the thing is that if I put myself, you know, in that, uh, in that space without knowing the right precautions, then I can cause myself to be harmed, right? So I don't hang around toxicity. I don't subject myself to that. I'll kick that shit to the curb with the quickness, right? But at, at the same time, it doesn't matter. I mean, I still love, I, I love the nuclear power. I love it. I absolutely love it. But I, I don't have to be up close and personal with it. And that's how I treat people. Mm-hmm. So can we use a different word than God? Because what you're talking no. about. Nope. Yeah, sure. Source. The okay. universe. Source. So, okay. That it just, it rubs me wrong. Like I get the concept. I'm 100%. You are a God, Seth. 100% in. You are a God. I am not okay with calling myself God. Jesus is your brother. Nor am I okay looking at any fallen man as God. I, that's not how this works. But I understand that we are, that we are breathing. Who says we're we're falling? Where do we get you know that that's the whole that's the whole question. <laughs> Who told you you were naked? <laughs> See, that's the whole the whole thing. Listen, watch this, and I'm I'm Seth about to drop a, a blog post on this. I love how I like started this at the end of the interview. I <laughs> no, but it's fine. Yeah, this should this could be an entire another interview. No, but what you know what what Jesus came to do? What did Jesus come to do? And everybody said, well, he came to save the the world from its sin. No, that's not what he came to do. It's not what he came to do at all. Jesus didn't talk about saving anybody. He, he said one point, 
He said, the son of man has come to seek and to say that which was lost. The pronoun is important. You got to focus on that because it's that. It's not they. It's not yes, them. Seth, it's not pronouns those. are it's important. Not, it's not whole. <laughs> so so the, the, the thing is, nobody was, nobody was fallen. That wasn't the issue. What happened is, is that we changed our mind about God. God never changed his mind about us. That's what Jesus came to show us. Jesus came to show, show us that you are just as divine as the day Adam rolled off the assembly line. You are just as good. You are just as holy. You are just as righteous and you are just as much God as Adam was. That's what you need. And, 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 and this is what, when you are God, you get yeah. to frame it's your universe. Yeah. You get to see, and that's the, that's the whole thing. People, people cannot frame their universe because they're stuck on religion and they believe that they're fallen and they believe they're sick and they believe that they're wretched and they believe that they're, that they're worms. Seth, let me tell you just for the record that you are fucking awesome. I told you that this morning and I'll tell you that again. I there agree. is nothing wrong with you. There's nothing Preach. fallen about you. There is nothing see? in error, nothing wrong with you. There never was, and there never will Don't be. Don't contradict you it, Seth. You are perfect. You... No, he, he can feel free. Feel free. Listen, I'm a, I'm a big boy, man. I, I tell people all the time, man, I'm six foot one and 260 pounds, and I'm a, life, I'm a lifelong I... martial artist. You know, and, and, I, and, I, and, I, and I take insults on a daily basis. So it's like, you know, shit, bring the thunder, man. In stepping out from <laughs> traditional thought. <laughs> on this issue okay in stepping out on traditional thinking around this where are you finding the confidence and security to continue down the path because i even in my deconstruction process and, and what i'm doing which they asked me a few days ago seth how much have you deconstructed and the answer was nothing i'm still you know i'm still there so i'm i it's funny and i'm going to do a deconstruction series next month but it's hilarious because i'm struggling with it a lot myself but in like how where are you finding the security to to think can i follow up with a completely unrelated question derek i want to I yep. know what does your mom think about what you believe uh my mom thinks i've lost my mind how does that how, how does you know, that work in relationships with people who love you but the same same thing I mean, Seth's there, there asking because it, like it's a support base you're you're losing. No, listen, my mom thinks listen, the same thing about my, me. My, you know, my, well, welcome to yeah. the club. Thanks. You know, I mean, it's like I love my mom and I respect my mom. My mom is one of my best friends. She's not just my mom, but at the same time, what what I'm saying is that I have found a way that works for me, and not only does it work for me, but I, I'm I'm bold enough to share it with others. And it's working for thousands of other people. So, okay, you know, if it if it doesn't work for you, that's cool. You know, and and the the thing is, I, I have a, a younger brother who's um you know he's a um uh, uh, an associate pastor, and then and my sister, she's uh, fairly new in ministry. My younger sister, and and they they both are like you know man, you're kind of like gone off the rails here, and you know. I, I tell them, no, I really haven't gone off the rails. It's just that I recognize that there are no rails to be on. And and then on top of that, I have an older sister, older brother, which my older sister, she's she and I are, are really, um, you know, we're like-minded. And then the other thing, my wife, this is the other thing too, is that my wife is my biggest cheerleader and she is my toughest critic. You know, if I'm really going, if I'm really gone off the rails, so to speak, 
my wife will be the first person to check me on it. But she's like, okay, I get it. I get it. And she's rolling with me, you know? And, and so now knowing that, you know, my wife is in my corner, that Christ in me, you know, that I recognize the Christ in me. I, listen, I don't have to worry about you because I, I tell people all the time, you know, I said, listen, you know, you can't whip my ass. You can't mess with my money. And, and, um, and you know, you're not just going to run intellectual circles around me. So, so, you know, bring it on. I mean, it's like, I, I'm not saying that I can, that I can beat everybody. And I'm not saying that nobody can mess with my money. And I'm not saying that I'm, that I'm intellectually superior to everyone. What I am saying is, is that I'm a capable person and I'm, I'm very secure in myself. I know who I am. I know what I am. I'm completely clear on my identity. I can confidently say to the world that I am God. I don't stutter. I don't hesitate. And I don't back away from it. Because once I've understood this, I understand that the, po the power that's within me. And, and this is the key part, is that I am also able to share this power with others and help others find out that God it, that they too are God. And once you understand that, nobody, I mean, nobody, you, people can say what they want. They could do what they want. When you understand that you are truly divinity, you are unfuckable with. Preach. Amen. That's a good way to un, unfuck with unfuck withable. Yes. Unfuckable with. It works too, I think. No. It doesn't. Unfuckable with. No. No, it doesn't. No, it unf doesn't unfuck work. withable. I, I had to go back and correct it. I'm I'm kind of a grammar Nazi too. I'm sorry. It's okay. Well, you won't like me then because I fuck up words all the time. I have Omarisms, is what is what we no, call no, them. No problem. <laughs> so, but no, dude, that's that's good. Seth, you have anything you want to say? I know we got to wrap up soon, but like, I'm so glad you got into this because we have had arguments about this. Yeah, we've and, been fighting, and, like, and this we've been and this is great it. because I always said that basically you and Kyle Butler agree on this. This is true. It's just different packages because the way Kyle Butler explains stuff, I'm like, yeah, dude, I'm right, right with it. But sometimes I hear the preacher in you, yeah. and so I'm like, eh, like it may, like, but but they're saying the same stuff, and I agree with them both, and I love them both, and I, yeah. and I knew that once I talked with you, I'm going to get a different different <laughs> impression. You know, you just get you're passionate though, you know, and Kyle's just kind of more like you like you described it more, um, not reserved, Kyle, but he's oh, he's um, well, I don't know, he's yeah. laid back, man. He's, 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 I mean. I'm I mean, he's gotten shout outs twice at different <laughs> points in this episode. So, <laughs> but I just thought that it was great that it came up almost naturally, you know, that we got into this because this is definitely a hot button topic inside the circles of the, the, the fake casters. And, um, and some, some people <laughs> would say that they were in your camp before this interview. So I wonder how the conversation now, oh. now happens, you know, now, now that you, people have to accept the fact that we are all gods. All right, so whose argument did I bolster here? Mine. <laughs> I bolstered yours, okay. But but I, I, I want to say this, and I want to say this to everybody who's listening, because I, I want you to know, if you're within the sound of my voice, that you are loved, that you are valued, that you were created to create, that you were created to bring about change, to bring about creation, to bring about um, beauty, artistry, all of that through the framework of love. You 
are love. You're not just loved, not just loved. You are love. Because if God is love, and when God stepped out of eternity into a void to speak something and create everything, all he had at his disposal or her disposal is herself. So that means that everything came from God. That means if God is love, then that means you are love. And when you understand that, when you understand that you are divine, that you are love, that you are great, that you are creator, that you are whatever it is, you will not take shit off anyone else ever. Yeah, again. That's a, it's awesome. It's a great confidence. It's like, a, it's people hear that. I know Seth has a problem with that because it seems like there's like pride attached to that. There's like an ego boost, you know, there's like somebody like, Somebody like a Trump would say, you know, I am God, you know, but I think that there's I, I, right. but, but when P, when you say I am God to the regular man, <laughs> they immediately think mental illness that you need to go to a psych ward like I or start taking your medication. I'm not I'm not trying to be rude but that's how i mean i'm a mental health professional i i talk with people on the phone for four years on a crisis line with people who thought that they were gods right mm -hmm. um this guy you know mental illness is serious in this regard and so i it just i don't i i don't like i mean i get i get the message <laughs> i'm for the message i understand the message I just wish we could do it in a way that didn't make us all look crazy. No, you know I feel let, like let you're hung you up on the language, because, not the point. Perhaps. When, when, you know, when, when people get I hung am. up on, on the, on the, uh, the theocratic aspect of it, that's, that's what messes everyone up. Most of my colleagues, my professional colleagues are Indian. They're Hindu. Most of them are Hindu. And so I'll go out and I have dinner with them. And, and, and here was the thing, like when I was, when I was really quote unquote, a Christian, and I would tell them, you know, my story and I'd talk to them and they're like, wow, I can't believe that you're a Christian because you're just so nice. You're so accommodating. You know, you're not trying to proselytize. You're not trying to tell us we're, you know, worshiping devils or whatever. And then I tell, then I would tell them that I'm a pastor and they, this, you know, they really blow the cork. Right. But now it's like when I talk to the, when I talk to my Hindu friends, you know, that Hindu and Hinduism as a practice has over a million gods. Yeah. Over a million. And so, so when you say, I am God, you know, they say, well, okay, I hear you. I hear you. You know, they, they may not necessarily agree. You may not, you may not be one of their deities, but, but they're cool with that because, you know, polytheism is, is, is their thing. But they also believe that there is a greater creator over, over everything else. And I still believe that. I believe that there is a, a God creator, but I also believe that God created me to be a like creator him. like yeah, her. her it exactly it's right good. so 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 the thing is is that i don't i don't trip on that and it's not it's not mental illness or anything like that what it is is it is confidence in knowing what my origin is and what my destination is i came from this source i'm going to return to the source and while i'm here i'm going to be the best manifestation of this source that i can be so that others can experience the best manifestation of this source that they can be awesome well, we're gonna wrap on that because we've gone a little over but this has been great it's been everything that i thought it would be and more for sure and i and i want to say you didn't necessarily bolster my argument because i 
It's not my argument. I'm just agreeing with what you guys are saying and seeing <laughs> where light bulbs are coming on and dots are connecting to things that I've always kind of believed already. And it makes sense. And it's a, it is a huge claim. And, and Seth is correct as well in the fact that there are a lot yep. of people like with mental illnesses that I've dealt with on Facebook who want to tell me that they are God. And, and I mean, they may even have like a really good understanding of things, but like the wires are crossed someplace and that's where it gets interesting still and why we can keep having this conversation about love because how do you love if you don't know how to love if you don't love yourself if you don't if there's something broken there then how are you going to be able to to love forward so i really truly appreciate appreciate you and this is a wrap-up seth even with your fingers being twist twisting there <laughs> so um i love you too seth and I, and I, Love and, you, and I, and I thank you for the thorn that uh, Christ has given me. <laughs> I'm joking, <laughs> I, it's completely. Uh, but no, seriously, Derek, you you're a blast. You've been a blast, and um, we'll do it again sometime. Seriously, absolutely. Look forward to it. All right, we're off live. <laughs>